So, I got up this morning, tend to get up fairly early when I'm preaching, and I had a strange, God, God told me to rip up a Bible. That might sound like an odd thing, sounds like an odd thing to me. And it wouldn't be the first time I've ripped up a Bible, which again might sound like an odd thing for a pastor to say, but that was well before I was a Christian. I was like a kid at the time. I didn't believe in God. I had no faith. And Gideon's came and gave us these little Bibles. And, and I was like, Bible, started ripping it up. Well, this wasn't like that. It wasn't like rip it up. You know, like, do you remember? I don't remember the, the, the strong men used to rip up the telephone directory. Not rip up the Bible like that. Rip up the Bible in a different way. And in fact, I've marked some pages out. And this kind of goes against the grain of, I have the utmost respect for the Word of God. So this, you know, this isn't something that I do lightly. But if this seems odd to you, ripping up a Bible from a pastor, I mean, ripping it up is maybe a little bit over the top saying that, then consider this, that in the likes of North Korea, they might have one Bible between a community so they literally have to rip the Bible up into pages and they'll have a page each and they'll transfer it between them and that's what they'll do. If you're feeling a little bit left out, if you check under your seats, there should be an envelope, you'll have a page yourself out of this Bible. And what I'm proposing is that what we do is we actually take this and keep it. Hopefully the significant page is for you. Let's trust that God's going to speak to us. Hopefully everyone in the room's got one. If you're online and you, you're thinking, oh, well, I'm missing out here because I haven't got one, then if you would DM us with your address, then we'll send you out of this book a page for yourself. And I, I wonder if maybe we should keep this page, whatever that page is, keep it. And, you know, to think about those persecuted Christians around the world. Has anyone got Genesis 15? Someone should have Genesis 15. Yeah, okay, fantastic. I won't, I won't ask you to read it out because of all the stuff at the moment, but we're going to go with that. Thanks, guys. You can all get down. What a wonderful... I, I realized something this morning, right? I love singing. I love praising. I love worshiping. My family know, like, you know, Six o'clock on a Sunday morning, they're like, can you shut up? You know, it's that kind of stuff going on. And, and I think I, 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 have, I can really hit them notes. But what I realized this morning is that it's, it's some notes that I get. I'm not sure it's all of them, if I'm completely honest. I think there's some notes I hit and others I don't. But anyway, so these guys, thank you that it's them, not me, up singing this morning and doing all of that stuff. Okay. <laughs> that was a bit loud, Jeff. Come on, mate. Come on. All right. Genesis 15, verse 1. If you were going to look and say you were in this situation where you only had one page of the Bible, or say you were in, I forget the name, I should have looked it up, actually, there's a region in China, and you may have heard of it, and they're basically... The, the, they're taking anyone who they consider to be an enemy of the state, and often that's Christians, but again, there's other countries that are doing it as well, and they're effectively trying to brainwash them. So imagine you're in that situation. You wouldn't even have a page of the Bible. You wouldn't even be able to take a page of it in with you. It would be removed from you. So you would have to rely on your memory and what was in there and what you knew of that word. Think about that for a moment, right? If there was only one verse, one portion of scripture, one character, one moment that you could recall, that you could keep in your mind to keep you sane, to keep you grounded, to know who you were and where you were at, this wouldn't be a bad one. The few verses, these six verses that I'm going to share with you now, we're going to read and look at, wouldn't be a bad. So if you got that this morning, you've, you've You've got the preach this morning. It's, it's in there. It's in there. If you've got 14 as well, it's really in there. But anyway, but this, wouldn't, this, this would really sum it up so, 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 so well. Genesis 15 says this. It's, it's a guy called Abraham. Anyone heard of Abraham? 
Well, that's good. That's a good start. That's brilliant. Right. So we've all, we've, many of us have heard of Abraham. Okay. It says this. starts off saying, after these things. Don't you hate it when preachers say, say after these things. I'm not going to do that. But keep in your mind, after these things. Got it? Yeah? After these things. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. He had a vision. God gave him a vision. And listen, the next thing it says is this. This is God speaking now, or the angel of the Lord says this. Fear not, Abraham. What a strange thing to start with first words, like fear not. Why would he be feared? Why would he be concerned? Well, because this was God appearing to him or the angel of the Lord appearing to him. This would have been a frightening experience for Abraham. Can you imagine suddenly God appearing before you? Anyone had an experience where you've been reading the Bible, you've been listening to a preach, whatever it is, and you feel like God's speaking to you. This is, he's talking to you. Anyone had that experience? Yeah? Right, that's one thing. Imagine God literally there in front of you. You'd want, you'd want him to start with the words, fear not. I've not come to destroy you. I've not come because your time has come. And he says, I am your shield, your reward. Another important word for this, for what I'm talking about this morning. Your reward shall be very great. He goes on in verse 2, and think about this, reward for what? What's the reward for? He goes on in verse 2 and says this, But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer. I should have checked the pronunciation of that word before I got up. My bad. Eliezer? Eliezer? I was doing A in that. Eliezer? No, anyway. Of Damascus. I can get that one. Damascus is easy enough. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So Abraham's like, God, you know, what, what can you do for me? What are you going to do? What are you going to give me? What can you give me? Abraham's a rich man at this point. He ain't poor, right? He is a wealthy man and he's a powerful man. Incredibly powerful, actually. And so what, what's God going to give him? Money? More power? You know, I often think, right, we, we, we think about being rich and we think about being wealthy. And, and I've heard so many people, the goal is to retire. The goal is to get all the money you can to retire. I remember when I first became a Christian, one of the first Christian preachers I ever heard, and, and he spoke to me after the meeting. And I was talking to him about work. I was working for an insurance company. And I suddenly couldn't do the job because it felt wrong. I didn't believe in the policy I was selling. I was, on, I was making good money up until that point. And then suddenly I couldn't make any. And I'm talking to him about this. And he said this. He said, get all you can and can all you get. I, I rebuked that. I don't think that's right, to be quite honest. I don't think that attitude's right. I don't want, you know, he might have meant something else, but that just didn't sit right with me. Just get all you can and can all you get. You know, Abraham could have just been, yeah, God, throw it all at me. Give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more power, give me more money. But here's the thing, right? You can have all the money, all the power, all the worldly possessions in the world. But if suddenly you didn't have your health, if suddenly it was an issue with your children or a loved one, you know, how many people would give it all up? Would give it all up in a heartbeat, in a, in a moment to see the child healed? Or the, it, it means nothing. It means nothing. And Abraham really is, is calling that out here right now. He's saying, God, what can you give me? There's nothing. I, I, I've, there's only one thing. There's only one thing I want, one thing I need. And that's a child. And behold, 
the word of the Lord came to him. This man, the one I can't pronounce, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven. This is key, just for a moment. Look toward, where's heaven? Look towards heaven. Look towards heaven, he said to him at this point. And number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then verse 6, one of the most powerful, significant verses in the whole Bible. And he believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. These are the kind of moments, the kind of experiences, the kind of events in your life that you would, what would you give for a moment like Abraham had? For a moment of a visitation from God to say the one thing that you really desire that no money can buy, that no wealth or power can attain, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give it to you. It's yours. It's here now. But the thing is, we all want it. We all want it, but we don't necessarily know how to get it. We think it's a little bit like the lottery. You know, the numbers are spinning round. And will it be us that gets the number? Will our number be drawn out? And then it's suddenly going to be us that gets blessed by God. And, and it's seemingly like that. But let me tell you, these moments don't come without testing. These moments of God coming in and, and doing those kind of things don't come without testing. And that's why it says after these things at the beginning of this section. And we know that as a family, we've, we've been through some of those tests so, so many over the years. One springs to mind in, in, in reference to this, and it was... A number, quite a few years ago now, we weren't even in this building when this, this thing kind of happened. We were back in the Pyramid Center. Anyone remember the Pyramid Center? Whoa, come on. There's a few of us that were still that were there in the Pyramid Center. Anyone like what's the Pyramid Center? <laughs> or certainly, what's your, what's your relationship with the Pyramid Center? I've only ever been here. Probably a lot of you, but anyway. So we, we're, we're at the previous building. And this pastor from another church, not too far from here, uh, got in touch with us through someone else we knew and asked if we could give this person some help with the church. The church, it had been a big church and it was struggling and asked for help. So we said, okay, yeah, we'll meet up. And we met up for coffee. And we met up for coffee and sat and listened and, and kind of just sat and, you know, and, and just were in here and, and gave whatever advice we could give and, and, and did that. And then basically they asked if we could meet again. And so about a month later we met again. And then they asked if we could meet again. And a month later we met again. And to, to cut a long story short, rather than keep going on like this, it's about a year on. And we've been meeting pretty much every month. And so we're at the point where we're feeling like, okay, we can't just keep doing this. This doesn't just doesn't feel right, just this kind of meeting up, you know, for a number of different reasons. We thought it through a lot. We prayed an awful lot about it, and we spoke to this pastor, and we said, listen, we've been praying about this, and we feel that, that you know, we've got a proposal to make to you, and it is that we get involved with the church on a more formal basis, because, the, you know, we could see that, the, you know, it was struggling. It was really, really struggling. And we'd, by this point, we'd spoken to one or two members of the congregation, and they were telling us, we need help, we need help, help us, help us. So we got involved, we spoke, and, and we, we just put it out there and, and left it, and then it came back, yep, absolutely. We, we were even paid to get involved, quite, you know, a decent amount as well, it was, it was okay, it, you know, we weren't in it for the money, but we were paid for our time, which was cool, and it was fine, and it just felt right, and it was all in agreement, and everything was okay with that. And then 
things kind of went on and we started getting involved and we started meeting with different teams in the church and some of you might remember we were going over there preaching. Some of you may even remember some of their congregation actually drove, came all the way over here and met with us in, in, back in the other building at the Pyramid Center and came and saw a few of our meetings and stuff like that and all this was going on and all this seemed to be okay and then we hit some obstacles. There's no easy way of putting this. We hit some obstacles, just being open. Do you, do you know, it's funny, right? In this book, that not all the pages are left in this book, by the way, but we will find the right thing to do with this. But in this book, right, there are lots of different things. It doesn't just talk about all the great things about Christians, does it? It mentions the failings. It mentions the faults, the affairs, the murders, things like that. And, and we're, get, we're kind of going on, and, and the congregation, number of members are coming to us, and they're like, this is, this is wrong. There's a, you know, and, and effectively, there was, there's no nice way of putting it, there was abuse going on, not sexual or anything like that, just abuse, abuse of power, perhaps you'd call it. Just, it, it, it was like, this isn't being done for the right reasons. This isn't being done right. It's not being done properly. It's being done wrong. And we basically got to a point where we said it wasn't very long and we said, listen, we're going to step away. And the point of me saying this is that it was, it was great cost to us to do that, right? We, we had invested, you know, a year and a half of our time and, and emotional energy into this. There were people in that church that were reaching out to us and asking us for help and we'd got relationship with them. And we still have great relationship with so many people in that church, and many have been in touch with us since we've left on numerous occasions, and you know, and all of that stuff. But it was it was a tough decision, and it was a sacrificial decision to do what we did and just walk away from this, because for what for the vision that we believe God's given us, this was this felt like it was it was you know an answer to prayer. It felt like you know there could be a campus over there and the campus here, and it was all going well. To suddenly just step back and say no, we've got to step away from this now was difficult and it was hard and it was a real struggle, but we did it anyway. Not long is that is that one of my kids on my watch. <laughs> Does any my kids, I love doing that, pressing that when I can't find my phone. And it's great when you've got a house full of lots of you in the house. Someone will bring it to you eventually. Try it if you've, got, if you've got one of them phones. Anyway, anyway, my kids hate me for doing that. But anyway, that's another one. So the point of me saying all of that is that not long after that, we got a phone call. So we're over at the Pyramid Centre, and we got this phone call from the trustees of this building. And they got in touch with us and they said, hey, you know, we've got this building here and are you interested in it? And we didn't have a building at the time and we were like, what are we going to do? You know, all this kind of stuff. And literally, we came along and we were gifted this building and finance to go with it as well. And, and it was the most incredible, incredible thing. And I don't think the two are disconnected. I'm not saying they're completely directly connected, like, you know, it only happened because of that, but I don't think the two are disconnected. I think that, that the sacrifices that we make, that the things that we do, the, the decisions that we make where we, we act with integrity and we do the things that cost, I think God sees them. I think God knows. In fact, I think they're a test. I think those situations that we're in, when, when suddenly we've got that dilemma of like, oh man, do we do this or do we do that? What do we do? I, I think when we do the decision that's right, the thing that's not always, but sometimes costs us greatly, I think God sees and I think he rewards us. Anyone, anyone think that might be the case? Good. That's good. So back to the verses that we were looking at. Th those verses that we're looking at with Abraham, right? They are so, so powerful. J John Calvin says this, right? He says that without Romans, we wouldn't really truly understand what was going on with Abraham. See, Paul in Romans, the, the, you always know that a part of the Bible is really powerful when it's referenced in other parts of the Bible. And this, this, this chapter, this section is referenced in multiple parts of the Bible. 
There will have been thousands, millions probably of preachers and sermons preached on this. Evangelists love to talk about this, but evangelists only tell you one part of it, and I understand why, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but they only focus on one part of this. They don't focus on the other part. But the last part, the part that the evangelist focuses on, Romans 4, 4 to 5, I didn't give these scriptures. I only gave the main ones, so these won't come up unless Tracy's quick enough to get them up. It says this, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due, right? So if you work at the end of the week, your boss doesn't go, hey, get on, probably at the end of the month, isn't it, really? At the end of the month, he doesn't go, you know what, Reuben? Do you know what, mate? You're a great guy. I'm going to stick some money in your bank account this week just as a blessing for you. Like, you know, we don't do wages here. And, you know, next month, he's like, do you know what, mate? I'm going to do the same thing again, just for you. I hope you're grateful, because, yeah. I mean, you'd be like, what the flip, wouldn't you? When you get paid at the end of the month from your job, you don't like, you don't, you're not like, oh, wow, thank you so much, are you? Because you've worked for it. It's not a gift. It's what you've earned. It's yours. Verse 5 says, and to the one who does not work, I don't think he's meaning like, you know, on the dole or anything like that. He's not meaning that. But believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. It's not a gift when it's earned. But when it's faith, when it's faith, it's different. It's not earned, it's counted as righteousness. When you believe in God and who he is, God counts that and ascribes that to you, not as something earned, but as a gift of righteousness. It's his decision that he decides that makes you righteous. You've not earned it, but it makes you righteous by believing in God. By believing what about him? By believing that he is who he says he is. And he does what he says he will do. When we believe that God is who he says he is, and when we believe that he does, he's faithful to do what he says he will do, he's a man of his word, then it is counted to you as righteousness. You are righteous in the eyes of God when you believe those two simple things. That is the gospel almost in a nutshell right there. And that's what the evangelists preach. They go out and they preach that. Anyone heard that message before? Anyone heard that before? Anyone else heard that? Anyone? You're all too shy this morning. Come on. The evangelists focus on that because when you're not saved... When you're in that unrighteous state, I mean, think about this. This is what we all want. We all want, we're all looking to, there's that moment coming for us all, like what happened to Prince Philip only a couple of days ago when we are all going to die in the end. Every single one of us. And in that moment, in that moment, in fact, probably in, in maybe even more importantly, well, more importantly, yeah. We, in the lead up to that moment, you don't want to be fearing that moment. You don't want to be worrying about, oh my goodness, what if there is a God? What if, I mean, I, you know, it goes without saying, obviously I'm a pastor. I don't, you know, I'm saying that rhetorically. I'm not saying that literally, is there a God? I believe there's a God. I have no question in my mind about it. But we don't want to be in that position where you're like, oh man, you know, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? What's he going to say to me? What am I going to be facing? All the things I've done. And this is why this verse is so important. This is why the evangelist will focus on that verse, on that part of the verse, on that part of the story with Abraham, the fact that he believed that God was who he says he was and that he was going to do what he said he would do. He was going to give him the promise. He believed it. And that was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And forevermore, 
That verse speaks to all eternity, to all generations, to all nations, to all creed and colour, to male and female, to everyone in the world. Without doubt, if you just believe in God, that he is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died for you, and that he will do what he said he will do, and that is that he will make you right with God, then just that act of believing is what makes you righteous. To believe on him. So is it works or is it faith? Is it works or is it faith? I've got to ask. I've got to ask, right? With Abraham, was it works or was it faith? Seems like faith, doesn't it? I don't think it was completely just faith. I don't think it was just faith. I'm going to challenge this a little bit that it was just faith, right? Because I I believe in the gospel. I believe, you know, that we're saved by faith alone, not by works. But I'm asking, what happened with Abraham? Was that faith alone or were the the works involved? In fact, are works even involved in us and and coming to faith? Is is it just completely devoid? Does it not have a part in it whatsoever? If you go back to Abraham, sorry, let me just silence this thing. I don't know why that's going off. Right, if we go back to to the, just read the beginning of those verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Says a little bit later, your reward shall be very great. Now, I know that later on when when it says in verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. I'm not questioning whether the righteousness that God ascribed to Abraham, hope that's not too complicated, was down to faith. I'm not questioning whether the fact that God said, right, you are righteous now. I'm not questioning whether that was faith alone. I'm just questioning, was was. This, this whole thing, just God just appeared to him because he knew Abraham was going to have faith or had something happened before it that would cause this? Well, clearly something's happened before it because it says right at the beginning, after these, the beginning of a chapter, the beginning of chapter 15, and God chose to start chapter, well, I know the chapters were added later, but it was still written in that, in that way that it was written like that. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. It's still in there, after these things. It's starting this story with after these things. It's referring back to what had just gone on before. So what on earth had gone on before that could have had a part in Abraham just even being in the position in the first place to receive from God, to be in a position where God might come and meet with him and bless Bless him like that with a child. Bless him with the thing that money could not buy. What was it? What were the things that had happened? Well, the things that had happened were this, right? So the very beginning, you know, beginning of Abraham anyway, certainly, God had told him to leave his father and his household and all of those things and to go to a place that I will tell you. Now, Lot, he's got this nephew called Lot, Okay, funny name. I know we don't use that name, but I'm certainly not, I'm not aware of that being a name, but it certainly was in the Bible. His name's Lot, and he basically is Abraham's nephew, and you get the impression he tags along, because it doesn't say like Abraham went, hey, Lot, why don't you come with us? It's like an Abraham kind of followed him, you know, sorry, Lot followed him, you know? So Lot's like, hey, I'm coming with you, and I'm following you, and you know what? If you want to be blessed, right, because Lot was blessed, What we're going to find out in a minute is Lot became so blessed, he was almost as blessed as Abraham. If you want to be blessed, right, tag along with the man of God. If you are faithful and you honor God's elect, and I say man in the kind of, you know, male or female, I'm not being sexist here, by the way, you know, then if you... If you tag along, if you will be around, if you will align yourself with God's elect then I'm not saying that's the only thing you need to do to be blessed, but you will be blessed. And you will be around the blessing. Elijah and Elisha, for the Christians in the room who know that, so many examples I could give you. 
David and um, Jonathan and so on. In fact, even Saul was blessed through David's presence. Corrupt king, blessed through David's presence, just being there. And they're just blessed, just incredibly, incredibly blessed. And, and, but in the end, right, Lot loses that respect that he had for Abraham. And there's, there's kind of arguments and strife going on because the camps have grown so much. And what does Abraham do? Abraham says, you know what? He says, this is getting too much. He says, you know, our camp's grown massive. Yours has grown massive. We can't go on like this. Let's, let's separate, right? So, you know, we're my nephews and, and, you know, you're my nephew and that. Like, here's what I'll do. You pick which, where you want to go and I'll go the opposite. And Lot looks around and, and, he, and he looks that way and he goes, wow, look at that over there. It's lush. It's described as it looks like the garden of the Lord. If you could imagine, right, God in heaven, right, and he's got a garden, and it's well watered, it's beautiful, it's crisp, green, in flower, it's just, oh, it's beautiful, absolutely stunning. And Lot goes, it must have been to, for, for the Bible to describe it as the garden of the Lord, well watered. Lot goes, <laughs> I'm off that way. I'll have that one. Thank you very much. Nice knowing you. See you later. And off he trots that way. Abraham's like, okay, you're going that way. And he looks that way. And what does he see? Dust. Basically, dust. That weighs all the green lush stuff. And that weighs all the dust. And Abraham's like, okay. And he heads off that way. And what does God do? God appears to him. And this time, remember the first time, or sorry, this is the first time, sorry. We started off with the second time. Sorry we did it that way around and, you know, preacher thing, isn't it? We, so in the, if you, in the first bit we heard about, which was actually the second time, he was told to look up, wasn't he? Look up, look up to the, to the heavens. The first time, though, here, God appears to him and says, look to the left, to the right, to the east, to the, to the west. It's funny, he tells him to look in every single direction. And he says, as far, so that includes that direction. Lot thought he was getting all that land for himself. But God knew better. And he said, God says, you look around in every single direction. As far as your eyes can see, I have given it to you. Reminds me of what he said to, um, to Joshua when he said, everywhere that the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given it to you. It's yours. They're the kind of promises that God gives to his people. Come on. Anyone want those kind of promises in your life? God's going, you know what? Every direction, just look, it's yours. I've given it all to you. You don't have to work for this. This ain't wages. This isn't something you're going to earn. This is something I'm going to give you for free. Almost like some trustees rocking up and going, hey, we've got this big building. Would you like it? We're looking for a church just like yours to give it to. Oh, wow. Abraham sacrificed. He took the faith approach. Lot looked with his eyes. Abraham looked with his faith. And who was blessed? Well, I'll tell you what happened next. What happened next was Lot got closer and closer and closer to a place called, anyone heard of a place called Sodom? It's, it's, you know, it's like the name Adolf. It's not got good kind of connotations to it. It's kind of ruined now, isn't it? You'd never call your, 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 your council estate or your new housing estate. Let's call it Sodom. <laughs> it's just, it's never going to happen, is it? You know what I mean? It's, we all know it's a bad place, right? This was as bad as it gets, right? And, and, and Lot's getting closer and closer and closer till he's literally pitched his tent right outside. Why he wasn't just inside? I don't know. I mean, he does end up inside, but eventually he ends up inside. But here's what happens. Abraham kind of getting on with his stuff and then word comes back to him that, that Sodom has been taken 
There's a little scuffle of war that was, was typical to, to happen in those days. A few kings got together and went, now nah, we, we're done with them kings. And in fact, the kings that, that took the Sodom kings and a couple of others, they were all under these kings and they decided to revolt and say, now nah, we're done with you. And then they went, are oh, you? Yeah. And they went and did them in and took them all off, dragged them off and all the stuff. And all that stuff went on, you know what I mean? A bit like saying to, yeah, anyway. So that all went on. And then word came back to Abraham, hey, Lot's been taken. Your nephew's been taken. Now here's the dilemma that Abraham's in. Right? There's a dilemma for Abraham here that you might not realize. It might not be so obvious. And that is this. Does Abraham get involved in this or not? And it's not. It's what Abraham does, right? Abraham gets involved. He gets 300 of his own men trained in his house. That shows you how powerful and wealthy he was, right? And he gets them as an army and he goes and takes on these kings and he defeats them, he routes them. He splits up his men, he shows his skill, just like any of God's elect shows his skill and the blessing that's on his life and he finds the way and he sorts them and he defeats them. And he brings back, brings back all the possessions and he meets a man called Melchizedek now, he's the king of Salem. Salem means prince, uh, sorry, peace, but Salem is actually Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And Melchizedek is, is not just a king, he's a priest. So he comes and he brings bread and wine to Abraham and he says, come on, let's eat Let's celebrate your victory. Let's, let's have fellowship together. Let's be friends. Let's connect. You know, let's, let's, that's how they would eat in those days. And that's how they'd communicate and make relationship around food and get together. We still do it today, don't we? Well, we, you know, when we can. <laughs> when we can, yeah, you know what I mean. And then Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth because he's a priest. And this is what's confusing when you hear some Christians saying, oh, it's tithing, it's, it's, we're not under the law anymore. This wasn't the law. This was well before the law. This was before the law, pre-law, and Abraham's tithing. And in Genesis earlier on, they tithe right from the very beginning. The first two sons tithed and everything. You see it all. It's there. And then, so Abraham offers Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he's just took, Right? The king of Sodom comes over and he says this, he says, hey, I tell you what, right, give me the people back and you can have the money. I'll have the people, you can have the money. I'm not quite sure where he gets off even proposing that because he, if you read the story, right, when all this kicked off, he did one. He's like, whoa, we're beaten. And he gives it toes. And then Abraham goes and wins the war. And then he rocks up and goes, hey, Abraham, right, I'll have the people and you can keep the money. I mean, he doesn't really deserve anything, does he? He literally deserves nothing. But he says to Abraham, you can have the money and I'll have the people. And do you know what Abraham says to him? He says, nah. He says, you take it all. He said, well, just keep the, what, was, what, what the, the men who fought have eaten of it, to, you know, the sustenance they needed to fight the war, to get it back. We'll take that because they needed that. But the rest, you, you can have it all. Because, and, and it seems like a funny thing for a man to say to another man when someone's offering you something. You know, and, and in one sense, you, I suppose you can see where, say, the king of Sodom's coming from, because it was all his in the first place. So he's kind of negotiating and going, well, you know, if you just give me the people back, you can have the money, you know, that kind of thing. And Abraham's like, no, nah, no, nah, mate, you can have the lot, because never let it be said that you ever did anything to bless me. Never let it ever be said that you ever were responsible for my prospering, my growth, my blessing, nothing. You take the lot, mate. It's all yours. I don't want any part of that. That is corrupt, and I don't want a part of it. So I'll sacrifice that, and you can have it all. And some of you want the, the blessing of God. You're desperate for the blessing of God in your life, 
You want to see and you're like, oh God, you know, I see you doing that for them and that for them and that for them. I want it, God. I want it, God. Will you bless me? Will you bless me? But you don't want to make a sacrifice. You want the godly blessing, but you don't want the godly sacrifice. But it's a test. And the sacrifice comes first. God puts the test first. He puts it there right in front of you. He's like, hey, look. Hey, look, you know, the, 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 it's not temptation. God doesn't tempt us. The world's tempting us. Not God, but God's watching. The world's testing us every single day, all the time, and God's watching. And he's watching to see how we respond to it. And when we respond right, God goes, brilliant, what faith I'm going to bless you. You are not going to lose out because of me. Seemingly, you might feel like you have but you're not going to lose out because of me because I'm going to bless you. And, and you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to bless you, right? Let's go back to that. Listen to this, right? I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And then Abraham's like, oh, yeah, but Lord, what can you give me? I'm, you know, I've got money. I'm not poor and all that stuff. The one thing I want, I can't, I, you know, no one can give me. God's like, I'll give you the thing that no money, no person no influence, no power that nobody can buy and can give you but me, but me, but me, the Lord Almighty, who can do miracles. I can turn the blind and make them see. I can take the lame and I can make them walk. I can take the deaf and I can open their ears up so that they can hear. I can heal the sick. I can raise the dead. I can do anything. I can do anything. You tell me what it is that you want. You tell me what you want. And it's yours. But sometimes the sacrifice has got to precede it. Not follow it. It's not like, okay, God, listen, if you'll do that for me, then I'll do this for you. That happens sometimes. Sometimes we've had that. Anyone had that moment where you're like, oh, God, if you'll just do that for me. Hey, sometimes we are on our knees and we're praying, Lord, will you do this for me? I'll do anything. Just do it for me. I need this, Lord, please. Just sort this problem out. Just sort this mess out. And God's like, okay, and his grace says, yeah, I'll do it. But the ones that count, the ones, the, the real deep, meaningful, serious stuff, the stuff that's so powerful, it'll transform your life forever. The stuff that, that no matter what, only God could ever do. The deep and the powerful, the godly, the life transforming, the life defining stuff. Only God can do it. Only he can do it. No money can buy it. No power can grab hold of it or reach out and grab it because it's unattainable. But it's in the gift of God. It's in the gift of God. But he's asking you first, will you make the right decisions? Will you make the right choices first? Will you live your life properly? Will you make the sacrifices for me? Will you do the right thing? Even when it hurts, even when it costs you, even when you've got to give up what, what looks like it's for me even. Even when you're like, but this is a church. This is something that God, surely this is, this is part of the vision that you've shown us. But, but we've got to walk away. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Any time that we've ever had to do it, it and, and some of you in here that have done it, it's always difficult. It, you always question yourself. You're always like, was that the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Was that a mistake? Should I have done that? Sure. And you're questioning it. But that's when God comes in and he goes, fear not. Fear not, because I am here. I am your reward. I am your shield. I will look after you. You will not lose out. Your portion will be great. The thing that you want, I can sort out. Only I can do it. And the thing that God gave him, the powerful thing, was relationship of commitment. The Bible calls it covenant. It's the world, in a worldly sense, it would be like a contract, but it would be a contract that was really, that the paper wasn't significant. It was the relationship between the two people that was significant. It was the trust 
between the two that was significant. It was the shake of the hand that, sat, that dealt with it, really, rather than the signing of the paper. It was the shake of the hand that both parties looked to and said, that was the moment when that was sealed. Not when we signed on the piece of paper, but when we shook hands as two people who trust each other, as two people who've got a relationship of commitment to each other, that we will look after each other, that we will always do right by each other, that we'll never stab the other one in the back. And that's what covenant is. But it's only, covenant only comes when it's been tested by God first. God will not enter into covenant with Something that's untested. Something that he doesn't know. So don't be concerned and don't be worrying when it feels like you're going through a trial and it feels like you've got big questions, big challenges and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. It's such a difficult decision to make. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can follow it through. Put your faith in God that he will give you the strength to see it through to the end because he is the one in whom your strength is. He is the one in whom you're putting your trust in. The thing about the commitment, the thing about the covenant with God is really it's all one-sided. It's all one-sided. He does his part, God, and guess what? He gives you the strength and the help to do your part too. How incredible is that? Almost deserves a praise, doesn't it, to him? One of the greatest characters in the Bible of all time, and yet he faced the same challenges that we do every single day. How to be in the world, but not of it. How to be in the world, but not of it. And church it's getting harder and harder. How to be in the world, but not of it. We can't isolate us, much like Abraham couldn't isolate himself from the problem with Lot and Sodom that was going on and say, no, I can't get involved in that. That's dirty. I've got to stay away from that. He had to get involved. But he couldn't be of it. He couldn't be a part of it. He couldn't be seen to be aligning with it. We all want God's blessings, but the real priceless ones come after the test. I'm done. That's pretty much all I've got. But before we get up, I think we should. You can come up and join me, Vicky. I think we should have a moment of prayer. And I want to pray first. Maybe, I, I don't want to pray for your blessing because it feels like this morning, really, it's passing the test that needs to come first. So I want to pray for some of you. Maybe it's a bit like the old driving lesson and you, you're on your fourth attempt or your fifth, or your sixth, or who knows, you know. People have been on even worse than that, and you're like, God, I keep failing, I keep failing, I keep failing. I'm on my hundredth attempt. I don't know how, God, you must have given up on me. He's not given up on you yet. He has not given up on you yet. He has not given up on you yet. You, he's preaching and speaking this word to you right now because he's, there's, there's something that he's seen already in you, that you're in that place and he's given you another, he's putting another opportunity before you to take the test again. He's saying, come and take the test again. Come and pass it this time. I'll help you. I'll lead you through it. I'll give you the strength you need to do it and to succeed. So if that's you, Maybe, I don't know, maybe we can stand, can't we? Can we stand for a moment? I think that would feel good. If everyone, if you're comfortable, if we'd stand for a moment, perhaps. I just feel right standing. If that's you, if you, if this is about the test for you, 
Now I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for your strength. I, I, I want you to put your hand up. Maybe if we don't, not yet, in a mo, just in a moment, in a moment. But if perhaps if we could all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're at home, feel free to direct message us and let us know if you're doing this right now. It's good to, to let others know. It's a good thing to do. Where there's unity, the blessing is incredible. So if you're at home and you're listening to this, message us, let us know. If you're in the room and you'd like us or me to pray for you right now, and I'm sure it won't just be me, there'll be others in the room praying for you as well. We'll all be praying together. Such strength in that, unity in that. If that's you right now, you want to pass the test this time, then I'm going to ask you, would you raise your hand right now? Don't wait. Let's just raise it now. I can see hands all around the room. On to the, to the left, to the right, to the front, to the back, and all over the middle as well. So bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm looking out, see them hands. I, I, I'm just, I, I'm I, in my heart, I'm praying for you right now. I'm going to pray with words as well, though, because sometimes we need them words, don't we? Lord Jesus, Lord, thank you, Lord. You, you're an incredible, amazing God, and you're so powerful as we've heard and seen this morning, Lord, that, Lord, we're not focused on the blessing, Lord, we're just asking for the test, Lord. We want to be, we, we don't want to be fearing meeting you, Lord, we don't want to be worrying or anxious about where we may have let you down or any, any regrets, Lord, we want to pass the test for you, Lord, we want to live the life for you, Lord, I know it was said of, um, of the um, Prince Philip that, you know, when all is said and done, apparently this was a quote by him, that when all is said and done, if at the end of your life we're able to say we lived a good and useful Christian life, well, maybe this is a part of that. So if that's you now and you just want to pass that test, then I pray God's strength and power, his authority on you right now. I am praying that to come into you right now, that you would feel his miraculous presence and his authoritative power and his warm love right the way through your body now as God blesses you and prepares you for what is to come. And just one final one, if, if you're in the room and maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you've never said that prayer before, Maybe, you've, maybe you just know you're not a Christian, whatever the situation is, then I, I'm going to ask you, would you put your hand up, still with every head bowed and every eye closed, just out of respect for each other, for God and man, if you would just, if that's you, if you would like me to pray for you for salvation, I can already see your hand up, I'd love to pray for you, is there anyone else? Hallelujah. I love it when someone doesn't even wait till they've finished. That's fantastic. That's exactly what God loves. Don't need me to wrap it on. Just get your hand up. That's brilliant. Anyone else? Just one last moment. If there's anyone else, I'm just looking out now. That's, that's wonderful. Hallelujah. And again, if you're at home and you, you want to pray this prayer with us, do it and let us know. Direct message us, email us, whatever's appropriate, whatever you feel most comfortable. Come on, let's pray. I've seen that hand. Let's pray now. And pray with me now. Pray, pray together, all of us. Can we pray this prayer together? Lord Jesus, I believe in you, that you are who you say you are, God, and my Savior, and that you will do what you say you will do, and that is bring me safely home. In Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said, hallelujah. Thank you. Yeah.